Today I'll read the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13, from the English Standard Version. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy, gonging, or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove the mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These these three, but the greatest of these is love. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Amanda. Young woman is at a wedding reception. Uh, rehearsal dinner, let's put it there. And um, she's a part of the wedding party, and she's a Christian. And um, the wedding party start, starts talking about marriage and love and that, that kind of stuff. And, and, they, and one of them says, well, what do you think love really is? Let's go around the table and, you know, what, what is love to you? And somebody says, well, I think love is a feeling. Um, somebody else says, I, I think love is a, is a force in your life. Somebody else says, I think love just happens. It's like getting hit by a truck, you know, and uh, it just either happens or it doesn't. Somebody else said, love is found, I think, when you follow your heart, when you are true to yourself and just go with what your heart tells you to do. Finally, it was this young woman's turn. And she said, here's, here's what I think love is. I think love is patient. I think love is kind. I think love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. What I think about love is that it's not rude, that it's not self-seeking, that it's not easily angered. I think love doesn't keep record of any wrongs. I think love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. I think, and I believe, that love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Here's what I believe most about love, that love never fails. And as you can imagine, there's silence at the table. Finally, somebody said, did you just make that up? Uh, no, no, I did not. Uh, there's this thing called, called the Bible. 
And it really does speak a lot about what love is. Um, This chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 may be the greatest thing that Paul ever wrote. It's certainly one of the greatest writings found anywhere. Even uh, Generation Z kids at a wedding rehearsal can be impressed with these words. What we're we're doing is we're looking at uh, two lists, uh, specifically the second one that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5. The two lists, there's a dead list, and there's a list that leads to life. And What Paul wants us to see is there's a path that we take. We all start out where we're under the law. We're listening to our own voice. We're listening to our own heart, and we go our own way. And when we do that, there's a certain result, and that result is the list of deadness that he lists in Galatians chapter 5. But when Jesus comes into our life, we start listening to him. We don't listen to ourselves anymore. Hopefully, we listen more to Jesus than we listen to ourselves, and he takes us uh, further down the path, and he takes us past those, all of those things that lead to death, and he takes us to things that lead to life, more of the things in your life that absolutely no one will ever criticize. He leads us to more of the things that there, this is what Paul says, there's no law against them. You can have as much as you want, and the more we have, the more fulfilled we are. And they're the things that really, at the end of the day, you wanted in your life in the first place. And so, as we begin, each one of these, we're going to talk about love today, we're going to talk about joy next week, and peace and patience, actually two weeks from now, because we're having the worship thing next week, but we're going to to, uh, filter through each one of these, and as we do, here's what I want to do. Over the next few weeks, I want to memorize, as a congregation, this verse, these verses, these two verses. So, today... You get to keep your eyes open, okay? And all of the words are there. We will take words away as the weeks go on, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just read it with me with the intent of cementing this in your brain and memorizing these verses, okay? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want want you to put one hand over one eye so you can half memorize it today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things... There is no law. And we start at the very beginning of the list with love. There are obvious things that you need in your life to be able to live, right? Air, food, uh, water, shelter, clothes maybe. But just as important, is, but way less obvious, is this thing called love. Um, love, literally, you cannot live without love. They've done tests about this. They've studied this. Uh, we could argue very convincingly that every action we take in life is an attempt to get more of this thing in our life, this thing called love. It's that important. Now, as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, each one of these attributes, 
Uh, each week, we're going to look at four things. What is the fruit? Number two, what is the opposite of the fruit? Number, or what's a weed that we need to pull as we try to cultivate this fruit in our life? Number three, what's the fake to watch out for? Is there a counterfeit, something that looks like the fruit but really is not? And number four, what's the way to get more of this in my life? Because if God is the ideal of all of these things, and the scripture says today, God is love, right? Well, if he is love, then what attribute of his do I need to look at so that I catch more love in my life? When I hang around God, I will get more love in my life. And so what do I need to pay attention to as I hang around God to get more love? So first, what is love? What is love? Put yourself around the table there at the wedding rehearsal, and they, everybody else is defining love and they come to you. What would you have said? What would be your response? We have a problem right away in the English language because we have all kinds of meanings and only one word. We use the same word, this word love, to describe our undying commitment to our spouse. But then in the very next breath, we use the same word love to, to express how much we want VBS cookies, okay? It's that kind of thing. The Greek language makes this a little less confusing. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, there are different words for different kinds of love. And so you have eros is the word for sexual or romantic love. And phileo is the word for brotherly love. If you ever go to Philadelphia, it's called the city of brotherly love. Yes, because it comes from that word phileo in the Greek. But when a Christian writers began to tell the story of Jesus and write it down in God's love, what they did was they turned to a very little known word in the Greek language. It was very seldom used in literature outside of the Bible. But in the Bible, it's exactly what the writers of Jesus' story wanted to convey. And the love of God, the word that they use for the love of God is agape, agape love. And this word doesn't refer to sexual love, it doesn't refer to romantic love or friendship or sentiment, it's, it's something else. From Matthew to Revelation, Agape is used over 300 times. It's been called, this word, the first and the last of all Christian theology, and it's vital that we understand it. So let's figure this word out. And what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13 is he gives us a really accurate picture of what agape love is. And so let's work backwards. If you're following the text on, the bullet, on your bulletin, I want you to go all the way down to the bottom. And we, we wanna first say that agape, this agape love, is everlasting. Look at the last line. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, what is it? Love, right, why? Why, because there will come a day when my faith will turn to sight. There will come a day when my hope will finally be realized. There will come a day when faith and hope will have their fulfillment. But love, agape, will never find its end. It will never find its bottom. Even into eternity with God, there will only be more and more of this thing called agape. Agape is one of the few things in this life that will last into the next one, into God's new world, into God's eternity. And so it's super important, it's far more important than those things in our life that won't last into God's new world. 
And so just by that filter, maybe that thing alone today is what you need. Maybe that thing alone will revolutionize, revolutionize how you live even this afternoon. If love is the thing that will last into eternity, then we have to ask the question, if I'm putting, what am I putting effort into even this afternoon, even this evening, that will last into eternity? Is this thing that's taking my time today leading me into more love or taking me away from it? And the answer might change what we devote our time to. Here's the second thing about agape. It's unselfish. It's unselfish. In the center part of the text, verses four to about the uh, beginning of eight, it's the meat of the passage. And Paul describes agape in some concrete ways so that there, there's no mistaking what it is. It's patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it boasts, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable, resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. Agape bears all things, agape believes all things. In other words, it's not naive, it means that it, it trusts people first rather than suspecting them of wrongdoing. Agape hopes all things, agape endures all things, agape never I like the NIV better, fails. Agape never fails. And here's a great summary. Agape is a sacrificial love for others, even when they are unworthy of that love. Agape is more concerned with giving than receiving. Agape always seeks to free others instead of to use other people. The real basis of agape love is a commitment to another person. Uh, there's some scriptures that you could look up on your own time. I'm going to leave that uh, slide up there so you can write those down. They're not in your bulletin notes. But as I do, I want to give you a great picture of what this agape love might look like. Probably the best picture may be a parent-child relationship. How many, uh, do we have any people in the room that are very new parents? In the first service, we had Jenny and Travis. Travis is still here around, so I'm gonna pick on Travis again. Travis, how old is Jude? Uh, 17 months. 17 months, okay. When we first brought Jude from the uh, home from the hospital, just describe those first few days to us. A lot of crying. Crying, a lot of crying. Not a lot of sleep. Not a lot of sleep, that's exactly right. Did those days just, I mean, were they like the days before? Could, is there any way that you could have said, you know what, I hear crying in the other room, but nah. Any way you could have done that? No. No. <laughs> and if you're a real parent, right, you don't. You get up in the night because there is this agape love in you. There's this commitment. There is another life that is depending on you. And what did Jude in those first few weeks give you? Crying. Crying, yes. That's it. That's it, that's what a child gives, right? There's nothing on earth that they have to offer. Um, they cry, uh, they eat, they do other things, okay? And all you do as a parent is give and give and give and maybe weeks, months down the line, maybe they might hold your finger or smile at you, but it's really gas, okay? Uh, there's, they don't do anything and yet, there is this committed love to this person, so much so that 17 years later, when they take the keys that they're not supposed to take, Travis, take notes, 
and they, ta- they go out the door that they're not supposed to go out at the time that they're not supposed to go, and they hang with friends that they're not supposed to hang around, and they get into trouble that they're not supposed to get in, and they call in the middle of the night when they're not supposed to be calling. Guess what? We go, and we rescue because we're parents, and we are committed to our kids, and they are always our kids no matter what they do. That's agape love. It is unselfish. The last thing we need to know about agape is um, that it is the acid test of all action. Uh, verse, verses one to three, Paul talks about all of these great things that we could do. We could um, speak really well. We could accumulate vast amounts of knowledge. We could be so powerful that we could move mountains and accomplish a ton of things. Uh, We could give away all of our money. We could sacrifice ourselves for a cause. But all of those actions by themselves mean very little. What makes the difference in the action is what's behind the action. And he says, if it's not love, then the actions are useless. There's a musical instrument. There's two kids. And they both play the piano. It's the same instrument. They play the same scales. They have the same beginner book. They have the same practice schedule. But one kid plays for six months and the other kid plays for six decades. What's the difference? Agape, agape. What about a wedding? Maybe there are two weddings and there are two couples and they have the exact same aisle to walk down. They have kind of the same cake They have the same tuxes, they have the same minister, they have the same dresses. But one wedding lasts just long enough for the stack of paper plates that they were given as a wedding gift to disappear. And the other wedding lasts through houses and kids and jobs and health and retirement and wheelchairs. It lasts to its very last breath. What's the difference? Agape is the difference. You want to know if love is real? Look for the motive behind the action. And so in that, we can find love's counterfeit. Let's talk about that. What's the fake fruit? Something that looks like love but isn't really love. And here it is. Fake love is action that looks like love on the outside but is based on what can be gained rather than what can be given. And we employ counterfeit love when we're after what somebody else can do for us. And we love them so that they can do something for us. And we can say it this way, the fake to watch out for is love that seeks to get, not to give, not to give. And the way to know is Paul says, it's here, he says, real love never fails. The word means collapse. It was used Um, when uh, an army came into a city and the city collapsed under the siege of the army, army. And Paul says, real love never does that. Real love stands strong. It stands the test of time. No matter what you throw at it, real love remains. It never fails. What's the opposite? What's the weed that we need to get rid of in order to have more love in our life? And if we were talking about the opposite of love, it'd be easy for us to say, oh, the opposite of love is, is hate, right? Uh, the opposite of love is uh, maybe to be angry. 
but biblically speaking, we have the opposite of love. It's in 1 John 4.18. He says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So take that verse. What's the opposite of love? Fear. It's fear. Why? Because love is a self-opening. Love is a serving. Love is willing to be vulnerable and used and trampled on in the end, maybe. Love is laying ourselves out for somebody else. And what would keep me from loving like that? Oh, plenty. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be trampled on. I don't want to be used. I don't want to be vulnerable and end up rejected. So I don't get involved. So I keep my distance. Indifference becomes my go-to response. And what's stopping my love is fear. Fear of those things becoming reality in my life. I might get hurt, I might get broken, but ironically, when I decide not to move into love, something worse happens to my heart. C.S. Lewis describes it this way, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong, it will possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Keep it locked up in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness, but in the casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. The opposite of love is not hate, but fear. How do I get more of this in my life? The attribute of God is, that will help is to see the promise of God and to see the price God paid. Uh, John 3.16, what's the promise of God? God loved the world. God so loved the world. In Ephesians 4, the price that was paid for our forgiveness, God sent his son to forgive us. And the price is Jesus on the cross, proving God's love by providing a way of forgiveness. Jesus considered us more than himself. Jesus loved us to give to us, not to get anything in return. Jesus stayed put on the cross. He didn't collapse. He remained faithful. Jesus loved us when there was absolutely nothing to gain, and that's agape. That's love that will never end. And when we look at that kind of costly love for us, how can we not respond to others knowing that we have that kind of love? in our hearts. So this week, here's your task. I want you to cultivate this, this fruit of love in your life. And you're gonna do it by doing this. I want you to pray 1 Corinthians 13. That's your task this week. Do it every day. And I want you to do three things as you pray 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verses four to about eight, okay? I want you, number one, to ask how can I see this quality of agape in the life of Jesus? Okay? Number two, how can I see this quality or the lack of it in my own life? That's number two. Number three, how if I adopted this quality more into my life, what might it look like? 
Okay, so let's put that to the test. I've got 1 Corinthians 13 up here. And the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna substitute Jesus for the word love or it. Every time you see the word love or the word it, we're gonna insert the word Jesus, okay? Can you do this with me? Here we go. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. Now here's the hard part. We're gonna insert our own name this time. Not the name of Jesus, but our own name. So when we come to love or it, Shout it out loud. If we all do it out loud, then nobody's, uh, you know, nobody stands out, okay? I will leave a space because I don't want just Dusty to be heard, all right? All right, I'll, I'll do the first one with you, then I'll leave a space. Here we go. Dusty is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, dusty never fails. Were there some things, were there some lines in there that you thought, oh, oh, that doesn't fit, oh, that doesn't work, oh, man. Here's number three, okay? God, what would it look like Man, when I came to that irritable line, I, that just, uh, I have trouble with that. God, what would it look like in my life if I could change the way I react in certain situations and not be irritable, but loving? God, what would that look like? And would you help me to do that so that at least the next time that, that a problem presents itself, that situation presents itself, you at least have thought about it and you have another course of action than reverting to your old habits. <clears throat> communion today, um, I'm gonna call the uh, servers forward and we're gonna close with communion. And today, here's, here's the prayer as we gather around the table and celebrate this great love that has been given, this agape love that has been sacrificed on our behalf. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me to love like you love. Say it with me. Lord. Help me to love like you love. 